0: All right, 15 and 60. Uh, Let's see if we can actually make it through all 15 teams. Uh, So we'll try to truncate things a little more. I always say that, though, at the beginning. But joining us uh, to start off with the Washington Wizards, a really interesting team for us to just have randomly decided we're going to give Liam at the start of the week. And uh, Liam, I mean, obviously their defense uh, has been atrocious, but uh, can you break down into exactly why uh, that's what we've seen from them so far?
1: Sure. Let me just uh, run through their numbers real quick. They're two and seven so far, and they're 24th in offense and 26th in defense. So the problems are on both sides. But the defensive problems, there's there's a bunch of them, and some of them are going to get better, and some of them probably aren't. So what stuck out to me is they they blew more switches than just about any other team I've seen. Just uh, miscommunicating everything, leaving guys unmarked all the time. They were late reacting, you know, uh, closing out on shoot, shooters late. So you figure maybe that can get a little bit better with some communication with some new pieces like Austin Rivers, Jeff Green. Dwight Howard, but you know a lot of these guys have been you know with the team for a while, so you'd think it would be a little bit better. And then another massive issue that they've had is defensive rebounding, the, especially the lineups with Mark Keith Morris at center. They've they've been getting absolutely killed. They're the worst defensive rebounding team in the league, and they're the worst since the two thousand eight two thousand nine Warriors and the cleaning the glass version of that stat. And when Morris is playing center, opponents are getting forty one percent of their offensive you know forty one percent offensive rebounding rate, which is just massive. And that's actually how they lost their first game of the season is Kelly Olynyk. Got to put back at the buzzer uh, over Marquise Morris, so that's a massive issue. And then transition defense, the numbers are actually okay in that area, but they've just had a number of plays where it's just no communication, uh, you know, lack of effort getting back, reaching, going for steals. There's a play today where Kelly Oubre took a free throw line jumper, matched up against Cantor, and because it was a switch, he should have helped out on Cantor getting back, and instead he ran right to his man, left Cantor unmarked, that gave up an easy dunk. So there's a lot of problems with this team. And surprisingly, I mean, with his physical profile and his athleticism you would think Kelly Oubre would be a good you know positive factor on the defensive end he's actually their worst defender by defensive net rating um as far as you know on off court he's he they're 12 points better defensively with him off the court which is very surprising to me so i, I don't know what, what jumps out in all of that to you
0: yeah i think the biggest thing i like what you said about the communication right because individually these guys aren't that terrible you know there's they're not great but you know you think they and they've been you know kind of 17th 15th you know in the scott brooks era by my recollection but when you look at this team who is a smart player on this team who is a smart defender who is a good communicator you know even like a solid jared dudley style vet someone who can just direct traffic or help clean up messes or just you know has the experience to just say no you go here we're gonna do it this way you know all right switch up the matchups when uh, this guy comes in you know that the coaches might not catch like they don't have anyone like that uh, on this team i think that manifests itself in the lack of communication that you talked about
1: yeah and the the ironic part is that they have a guy that would help with some of those issues in Saturansky, and they're, they're not playing it at all I think he's like 11th in the team in minutes so there, there are some things they could be doing better and, and to, to your point about their personnel like they actually you know can do some things well they have really good defensive stretches like the first quarter today against the Knicks they they got up and denied every every pass of the wing and they really made things difficult for him turned them over a ton and you know kickstarted their offense and just a couple numbers to like prove that they're their fourth best in turnover percentage in the league their third best in deflections per game first in charges taken so they have stretches where they can do a lot of things defensively with a lot of their length and athleticism you would think this isn't the personnel of a bottom five defensive team but i mean just frankly they go through like six to 12 minute stretches where they just stop trying all together and just the sulking is just so visible and there are a couple plays where john wall just let it let russell westbrook just walk to the rim in transition and it's 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 frustrating to watch i can't even imagine what it's like to be a part of it
0: yeah and they're not exactly known uh for their togetherness but perhaps more i don't want to say concerning maybe it is concerning is that the offense isn't good because that's like really what they are supposed to be good at right if they're not going to be good on offense this year then you can ride it home because they're not going to be an elite defense right like this, the hope for this team was they can get into the top 10 in offense they've got some pretty decent offensive players so what have been the main factors in rating so low offensively to date
1: well when you look at the numbers bradley beale and john wall are basically the same guys they've been the last several years offensively so they're not really the problem Auto Porter's usage is a little bit down and he's only shooting 28% from 3 um he was 45% last year so that's definitely going to get better and I think the biggest issue is their center rotation it, you wouldn't think that Dwight Howard in his current state would be just such a big deal for this team but I'm going to run through some numbers with their center rotation Yan Mahimi 450 possessions offensive rating 92.7 defensive rating 114 net rating negative 21.7 that's awful Jason Smith uh, offensive rating 95.2 defensive rating 113.8 that, that's terrible too those guys are such bad offensive players as role men. nobody even pretends to guard them so that's a massive problem it'll get better with Dwight coming back but you know an older Dwight Howard with some injury problems and not much depth at the center spot it's crazy to think that they would benefit a lot just from picking up I don't know like a 10 days backup center that could play because I don't think Smith or Mahimi or rotation players on just about any team right now if they could pick up like a 10 guy like a guy like Willie Reed in the G League or somebody like that that could just be a competent offensive center that could catch the ball and finish around the hoop that would that would be massive for them right now they're, they're really missing Gortat's screening like his ability to get guys free and just his timing on those rolls. there are a couple of plays where Mahimi just ran right into the ball handler as he was rolling into rolling to the hoop so the center rotation is a big part of that and Dwight Howard played his last played the last two games with a 67% true shooting percentage so some of that's going to get better but again they don't have much depth at the center position so it's going to get better but I'm I'm still concerned overall
0: two things that stick out statistically for their offensive performance number one you mentioned how atrocious their defensive rebounding is which is 32% uh, offensive rebounding rate given up well they're not getting any rebounds of their own on the offensive end now howard uh, for all of his flaws can help with that he he may not get back in defense after going for the offensive rebound but their offensive rebound they're getting 19 percent of offensive rebounds at a time when offensive rebound is actually a little bit up uh from last year so that's really hurt them uh you know and as recently as last year they got 26 percent of available offensive rebounds so you know really again it's the personnel uh that's uh, been killing them there i I would say and then just not hitting the three 33 percent from downtown that's 25th in the league i think they've got some pretty good shooters on this team i think that can uh, come around to some degree so uh, and they're hitting okay from mid-range uh um it's not really the shooting other than from three that's the issue their shot mix is fine you know they're taking the 11th most threes they're taking the 10th most shots at the rim that's totally fine uh, so they just got to hit some more threes and then maybe if they can get some more boards and you know howard can just finish a few plays around the rim uh you know i think they can get back to being healthy offensively and i don't think they're going to be as bad as it appeared i mean this is a team that it, at its worst times it seems like the sky is falling and as soon as they went zero and two in those first two games you're like uh-oh uh you know they're going to be in trouble here because they're going out west and then they went one and four on that trip but uh then the first trip game back which you know everyone always says is so miserable coming back from a road trip you know they got blown out by the thunder but they looked okay against the knicks tonight the schedule is going to ease up a little bit you know i'm not going to write them off as a playoff team and and 538 still projects them to get uh to 43 wins this year which would be sixth in uh, the conference all right much more to get to here thanks to liam for that we're going to bring in danny do the rest of the teams here but first this from proper cloth finding a dress shirt that fits is quite difficult for me the two things that are the big problem the sleeves are never long enough or if i get the sleeves long enough then like the midsection is just too big even slim fit shirts uh are not that good or the the armholes will be too wide so you don't actually have like that seam under your arm like right in your armpit the way it should be as a proper dress shirt but at propercloth.com you can easily create a custom shirt in seconds by answering 10 simple questions and you can customize everything 20 collar styles 10 cuff styles 500 fabric styles class business casual business casual they work with the best fabric producers and only buy fabrics that meet their high quality expectations and each one of the shirts is going through extensive quality control so you're getting the best quality and craftsmanship if you don't get a perfect fit they will remake it for free and they start at just $80 which is a lot less expensive than a lot of shirts that aren't going to fit you as well and it's just a lot easier to start with a shirt that actually fits and is made for you instead of trying to get it tailored the way to get started with them is propercloth.com slash capspace easy to remember slash capspace we talk about all the time on the program and then enter gift code capspace to save $20 on your first shirt that's the capspace code get $20 off your first shirt at propercloth.com slash cap space let them know that cap space code that you came from us well mr larue I think we would be remiss to not at least discuss a little bit of the Raptors absolute evisceration of the Lakers they led at one point 40 to 10 in a game Kawhi Leonard did not play due to a jammed foot slash ankle suffered in Phoenix and Kyle Lowry Serge Ibaka just went absolutely wild in the first quarter ended up closing that quarter at 42 to 17 and the Lakers you know never recovered Toronto won easily
2: yeah I mean Ibaka and Lowry each put up plus 30 first quarters, which is absolutely remarkable. Ibaka had 20 points on 8 of 8 and then 3 of 3 from the line in that first quarter alone, and it helped propel some of their numbers, not that their, stat, their figures needed any help. The Raptors are 9-1, and 6-1 and one since the last time we did this. Their plus 8.3 net rating puts them 5th in the NBA, they are 4th in offense, 8th in defense, and 538s Carmelo projections put them with 59 wins, which would be 1st in the Eastern Conference, and second in the overall NBA.
0: I think we could also start I mean Ibaka finished with 34 points 15 of 17 from the field and only one three-point attempt too which was uh, was really interesting but he's having a wonderful start to the year here uh, really a renaissance and it's really interesting because you would think oh Serge Ibaka like the change is that he's really like you know taking more threes he's stretching out to three He's actually taking fewer threes this year he's only five out of 24 from downtown on the year but he's been awesome on two-pointers working as the center he's been rolling to the basket. Kyle Lowry has found a nice chemistry with him. We'll talk more about Lowry leading the NBA in assists in a moment. Uh, But Ibaka shooting 76% at the rim and then he's been on fire from mid-range 17 out of 29 so he's taking more mid-range jump shots than he is threes Uh, a lot of those out of pick and pop which is interesting because the Raptors generally have been eschewing the mid-range it's basically been Ibaka and Leonard are the only two guys that take mid-rangers on this team but I think it's important to have at least a little something there and Ibaka is just he's been firing away Uh, a lot of the time he's been an excellent mid-range shooter for a while now we'll see in the playoff crucible if his decision making can hold up on some of those role situations but I mean, you know, He's been having these games where he's shooting you know just incredible percentages from the field uh with this one in particular being ridiculous
2: and abaka makes a fair amount of intuitive sense depending on what their defensive scheme is is the fifth guy around that idea of lowry danny green Kawhi, and ananobi they haven't gone to that a whole lot so far just 112 possessions with various fifth beetles and abaka has been the most used and they've been good in those minutes but they've been good in really all of them that's something that i'm watching moving forward and a lot of that is going to be about about what Nick Nurse sees as the identity, like what it, what is the most important part of this Raptors team, especially defensively? Because Siakam is more of a switch guy, Ibaka help more of a help defender than Valanciunas can be, kind of a, a mismatch type of player as well. And so Ibaka playing well makes that a better choice for Nick Nurse. But I want to see where it goes.
0: Yeah, and the Raptors defense actually not quite as good as it was last year. Although Kawhi now has missed what three games, so that that's part of that uh big problem for them is the defensive glass giving up 31 percent offensive rebounding to opponents that's probably not going to get much better uh you know unless they just play valanchunas a, a ton uh they don't have amazing rebounders uh, on this team necessarily uh but you know i mean they just generally have been very consistent they've been winning games without leonard uh and lowry in particular has taken a huge step forward and i wanted to know why it was that he's averaging over 11 assists a game previous career high. I was 7.4 assists per game and he, you know he used to play more minutes but the biggest difference in that is that this year, 29 of his 96 assists, 30% of his assists have come in transition. And last year, only 23% of them did. And so I watched film of a lot of his assists, and pushing the ball hard at the beginning of them is really the thing that stands out the most. He's got a great chemistry with Siakam in transition, who really likes to run the floor hard. And Lowry will throw like nice, lobbing, hit-ahead passes to him, great bouncers to him in transition. That's probably the area where where Lowry has got the most value added, uh, where you're really looking at those assists and you're like, yeah, that's a real nice play. Like not everyone uh, can make that one certainly the the offense that the raptors run you know there's plenty of just kind of running the offense anybody could do this assist where a guy just comes off a screen he's open and Lowry throws it to him um you know they don't do a ton of posting up so it's not really like post entry stuff I was remained appalled at some of the plays that get called assists to and it was both at home and on the road of just like throw it to a guy in the wing with no clear advantage and he like takes a couple dribbles and beats his man and hits a tough shot and like he ends up getting an assist like that's pretty miserable uh but another thing that's really stuck out is just because the raptors are moving the ball so quickly you know he's able to just throw a lot of quick passes reversing the ball danny green he's been able to dime up a lot of times in situations like that and he does do a really nice job of catching the ball with the defense in scramble mode and making the right decision uh he also has done a nice job of you know he's not really a finisher inside anymore he doesn't get to the foul line as much as he used to but he can kind of get penetration go along the baseline and then look for cutters coming right down the middle of the lane uh siakam leonard he's been able to find guys like that uh, pretty well so he's definitely improved but i think the biggest difference that i noticed is just more pushing the ball hard and that that's opened things up for him in transition if i had to pick uh, what it is that's uh been the biggest difference between this year and last year
2: yeah and it's Th- that is a, a good one for assists and you also think about the effect that being encouraged to shoot early threes has also had on his game I mean when I watch the Raptors I, I just noticed yeah. that more in him and that doesn't affect his assist numbers of course but it is another definitive trait of what has made Kyle Lowry different this year than he was in previous years somebody who it is incredibly encouraging looks similar to previous years is one Kawhi Leonard yeah, I took a look at
0: how he was getting his points and usage compared to his last healthy year in san antonio biggest difference for him again is transition he's been getting out there that's actually his biggest category 22 percent of his possessions coming in transition compared to a spurs team where they rarely ran uh 12.6 percent of his transitions uh or or possessions were in transition his last healthy year in san antonio we haven't seen him go to the pick and roll quite as much he was his numbers there were outstanding uh and that was 25 percent of the time as a pick and roll ball handler in san antonio nick nurse has actually said hey we want to get him in pick and roll a little bit more you know and his isos post ups that's actually happening more often uh in toronto where these kind of self-created possessions that encompasses 35 percent of his offense in toronto whereas in san antonio it encompassed uh, only a little over 20 percent so they are not setting him up as much and his spot up possessions have gone way down as well And trying we'll see as he continues to get integrated if they can find a way to get him easier buckets but the amazing thing here is and he hasn't been quite as efficient as an iso guy and a post actually no iso he's been very efficient post up a little bit less so but those are kind of the same categories especially when you're a wing uh so i, I mean i think he's looked very close to the previous guy he doesn't get up quite as well but you know it's two years later in his career now between 25 and 27 essentially so you know you are going to lose some athleticism during that, but the steal rate is about the same. He still makes great plays on defense. I mean, that Philly game in particular he was all over the place. So got to feel pretty good uh, about him uh should we move on
2: yeah let's do it so the next team alphabetically in reverse order is the just mentioned philadelphia 76ers they are six and five after a rough loss in brooklyn on sunday they're four and four since last 15 and 60 they're 18th in net rating below water at negative 1.4 22nd in offense 13th in defense and 538 projects them to win 51 games which would put them fourth in the eastern conference
0: yeah they've been pretty atrocious on the road have they won a road game yet Mm-hmm.
2: off the top of my head i think they won yeah, it's one. not
0: it's not many i mean i know they've lost to all three of their big competitors and they lost this brooklyn game so they've lost at least four on the road although it's been a somewhat difficult road schedule to date uh but what, what are you seeing here you know i know bodner has been all over this but I, if you're not reading him you should be but uh just bring us up to date on how like some of the numbers look with faults and what these combinations are looking like here
2: well actually i just quick addendum the Sixers have not won on the road they're zero Oof. and five they the game they lost to the the Pistons in the Blake oh, that's Griffin right yeah game. that was the one I guess I was thinking of yeah and so yeah I mean there there are a couple different elements of the Fultz thing and so Zach Lowe tweeted out and I mean I've been following it before that it was a saved tab on my brow uh, on my browser of Embiid and Simmons with and without Joel Embiid and so that stat is currently you know they're a little bit below you know, negative 3.1 those two guys with Fultz and they're plus 4.2 without him but I think the more important part that we're eventually going to focus in on and part of the issue here though is small sample size theater because of how Brett Brown is using it is that the Sixers have an 89.3 offensive rating when Fultz and Simmons play together then when you separate those guys it goes up to 1066 with just Fultz and 1034 with just Simmons and it is worth mentioning that those lineups are playing against fewer starters than the main guys but I mean, they also play a lower proportion of those minutes with Joel Embiid, who is an absolute, absolute force this year. And the bigger part of this that we talk about this a fair amount at the beginning of the season, that what you look at is when something confirms your thought process, not necessarily saying you you don't want that form of bias, but it speaks to an idea that maybe is taking more hold. And so for me, what you see with those two guys, when they play together, both of them have a usage drop, which isn't a surprise because it's another guy with the ball in their hands, but they also have a big efficiency drop. And- I think that's because they don't have teams, don't have to really defend the other guy. And so I understand the idea of Brett Brown, and I actually supported it of starting the season with those together to see how it worked, to really go to it. And there are some psychological downsides of downgrading Fultz. But I think the problem is that at least at this point where Fultz is, and hopefully, and maybe Simmons can get better as a shooter too, they don't really complement each other at all offensively. And then defensively, they don't really help as much as we kind of hope because this lineup is less dependent defensively versatile than the one that they eschewed for it
0: yeah and i think you know fultz just struggles in execution i think he can get there as a defender he had some good stretches particularly last year um just to run through quickly here and well, it, since you were on vaults, do you want to just talk about what Atlanta did to him in the first quarter of that game?
2: Yeah, so that was the rare assistant coach revenge game. <laughs> Lloyd Pierce had been Lloyd Pierce had been a part of the coaching staff last year for the Sixers, and what he did was basically give every Sixers playoff opponent the blueprint in case. They don't already have it on how to defend this team if Fultz is still starting. And what they did, they, it was a really important thing. So there are two concepts of when you have an offensively limited player of how to defend that. One one concept, which is by far the more common one still in the league, is you put your worst defensive player on them and you just kind of hide them. This, the, the Rockets used to do this with James Harden, various, there are yeah. a million Th- examples. That's
0: more of like a old, the, the old the, school approach, like the especially the, the right. 1990s kind of approach uh, where it's just, all right, let's hope that the, this guy can just stay out out of the way defensively as much as possible
2: but what would Pearson the Hawks did instead of putting Trey Young on on Fultz which would have been easy I mean that is also the smallest guy regarding the smallest guy is not only did he put Kent Bazemore a far more intelligent help defender on on Fultz Kent Bazemore basically didn't guard Markel Fultz at all unless he had the ball in his hands and even then it was sometimes skeptical so they're basically playing four on five and it was similar to what happened when the Pelicans dealt with Rondo being guarded by Draymond Green and basically not being guarded by Draymond Green that it completely short circuited their offense it was a, a about a nine minute stretch and they were only down 12 to six because the Hawks only scored 12 points but again remember this is a Hawks defense that has been pretty awful this whole year and Philly put up a 65 offensive rating with Embiid on the floor for that entire time because they didn't have the space to do anything they just everybody was being compacted it was it was really impressive to see and so you saw this bad defensive team just beat. One of the most talented squads, at least on paper, in the league, by virtue of basically not having to guard them. Yeah, and
0: they guy. ended up blowing out the Hawks when they went back to the real starting lineup at the start of the third quarter in that game. Um, a few more observations on these guys. Wilson Chandler finally has returned. He did not play against Brooklyn, played 10 minutes the game before that, but they desperately need him. I mean, he's probably the way Dario Saric is playing. As soon as he can handle the minutes, he'll probably come into this the closing lineup unless Saric plays better because Charich is shooting 24 percent from downtown but he's also only shooting 46% on twos and there's a lot of guys who are shooting really badly I'm sorry no that that is incorrect he is shooting 44% on twos even worse uh but uh, there's a lot of guys who are not shooting well on two pointers on this team uh jj reddick only 37 percent uh he's at 39 percent from three but he's cooled off actually he's down to 56 percent true shooting he was looking unguardable early on but uh hasn't been able to get going as much lately uh i mentioned charges struggles ben simmons is only shooting 47 percent from the field he never shoots outside of three feet away from the basket that's not good uh you know or maybe if he does it's a it's a floater i mean he's not shooting regular jump shots so like he's definitely, I mean, the, to me, out of everything that has happened in the Sixers so far this year, Ben Simmons' apparent lack of development so far, and maybe even possible regression, is the most troubling uh, to me uh, out of everything. I mean, because Redick, you know, he's not gonna be a part of this team long term. faults you know, I mean, he's probably doing okay, but I don't think we expected a ton out of him this year. Shar you you imagine that when they're fully four and he won't be on the team anymore, he'll be more of a bit player. But you know, Ben Simmons has got to turn into a top ten player in the league a superstar for this team to get to where they want to be and he doesn't look like he's taken any strides in that regard
2: i haven't seen much and and it's sometimes hard when a guy starts out as strong as he did and th- there was this concept of ben simmons like because his passing and his rebounding and and his defense which i still think is underappreciated were so developed for a 21 year old player but yeah i mean he's gonna have to do more just more wrinkles into his game and also it doesn't seem to me when i watch them like brett brown is doing much more to unlock you know kind of like focusing on the things that that they do well and so that's a concern i think both those things can get better with time the two-point shooting is concerning but again i i think that might just be having having a rough start and everything else and maybe changing around some of the lineups i mean now Fulton and simmons aren't playing nearly as much together as they were in the beginning of the year which i think is is the right thing to do They largely stagger those guys but something else we should talk about you mentioned that wilson Chandler might be closing the game muscala actually closed the detroit game because charge yeah, wasn't second doing well second was hitting game, some shots but yeah the yeah. second Detroit game. Yeah. The the game the game that the Sixers won in continuing a hallmark from last year where they went up huge early and then just basically started hemorrhaging the lead but held on enough to win. They lost some of those games last year. And part of the reason they built that lead was Joel Embiid was just incredible in that first half. Basically fouled out or not fouled out, but fouled gave all of their big Detroit's big men foul trouble. Drummond basically was a non entity in that first half.
0: Yeah. Zero. They points even had to go to John Moore for for Drummond and Joel yeah. Embiid at 32 points
2: yeah Embiid 32 points eight of nine from the field 15 of 17 from the line in the first half eight rebounds two blocks and just one turnover he was just an absolute force and when he is playing and he's been playing this way a lot of this year one of the like one the, of the best compliments you can give for Embiid is that you have to game plan for him you have to adjust you have to deal with it and so that to me gives Brett Brown such a massive competitive advantage and I mean the fact that he can be a force defensively as well. I mean that gives opponents a lot to deal with. Now a lot of what they should be doing is just figuring out okay, how do we maximize this? And some of that is having shooting around him and so guys like Sharich not hitting those shots so far. I don't I'm not condemning Sharich to be this bad forever, but they're going to need that consistently because otherwise teams can fall in or start baiting and beat into some of his bad habits, which you know, I, I feel like at a, he can get better at some of that, but you know, his aggressive some of his overly aggressive drives and feeling really confident in his jump shot, you know, if you can get him away from from the from the good things and towards the bad things he'll be a little bit worse but he's still kicking a lot of ass
0: let's get to the magic 3 and 6 2 and 4 in their last 6 games their negative 9.1 net rating is 26th in the nba and really the defense uh, has been the hugest problem 29th ranked defense 103 offensive rating uh and, and they're or, i'm sorry No, offense. let me correct
2: that they're 20 they're 20 they're they're 22nd in yeah, defense yeah, 29th to, in meant to say
0: offense. Offense is the big problem here uh they're projected for 31 wins which is surprisingly high to me actually uh by 538 uh john isaac a right ankle sprain that's a concern that's the one that he missed so much time with last year but sounds like it's just a tweak uh they did kill the Spurs. This is actually the third year in a row that they've had like a resounding win over the Spurs. Uh, but, you know, they haven't has translated it into a, a ton. And the big problem, though, is these guys just have no ability to score in the half court, and which isn't a surprise with, you know, their spacing be only okay and just the total lack of creators that they have.
2: Right. So Josh Robbins, who I respect his connection with the team a lot, he writes for The Athletic and has been around the team for various outlets for a long time now. He wrote earlier today that the their biggest issue was facing, and I agree that that's a big part of it, but he was kind of throwing a lot on that. I believe that spacing is a part of it, but shot creation is a major problem as well. And you need both of those things; they're 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 symbiotic. But even if they had good shooters, but just had this point guard play, I don't think those guys would be getting open enough. Other than for whatever reason, Terrence Ross, who I still don't understand why teams leave him open all, all the time. But when you look at the structure of their offense, there are a couple things that are really concerning me. So they're taking a lot of mid-rangeers. They're not taking a lot of shots at the rim. They're the I think the third lowest rim attempt proportion in the league which is really bad
0: never and get fouled still they i assume never get fouled <laughs> <I> mean, still
2: <laughs> oh they oh no oh they have oh this is actually an amazing stat so they're lowest in free throw rate and effective field goal percentage in the entire league they have been bottom five in free throw rate in four of the last five years and they have been bottom 10 in it every single year since dwight howard's last one in orlando which was 2011 2012 so this team has not gotten to the line for almost a decade and that's tough you know it's really hard to deal with but the part that is really bothering me when i was i because I was bringing into like, why is their offense so bad? And I mean, there are the obvious answers, but then what I, what I really started getting into is okay, so the league's worst half court offense so far. And that's, you know, that's kind of understandable but you can you can deal with that. But what really bothered me is that they're bottom 10 in transition frequency off of steals and live rebounds. And this team, I mean, if you exclude the, the lack of ball handling, is really well suited to running. And not every guy, not every position, but overall. And when a team can't score in the half court, you assume assume that you would just run it basically every single change you had because it's the only way you're going to score and so i understand why they're not as effective in transition just because they have guys that can't over dribble some guys underpass you know all those sorts of things they have bad shooters so that part of it but when your frequency is low that i do i I, makes me uncomfortable with this a little bit you know a little bit of a, a steve clifford potential thing there so i don't know like it's it's a little bit concerning for me that the the defense but the defense a part of it, there are some really encouraging signs.
0: Yeah, I think, like, they're able to keep teams away from the rim a a little bit more. You know, Bamba has probably helped with that at times. They're not fouling as much as they used to, which is good. And they're forcing more mid-rangers than they used to be. Interesting to note the splits between Vucevic and Bamba. I mean, this whole bench has been horrible offensively. I'm not going to blame Mo Bamba for the problems. But, you know, 90 offensive rating when Bamba is on the court. And with Vucevic, 103.7, at least that's like halfway respectable obviously Vucevic has uh, his own defensive problems although really for a lot of these guys even Bamba they haven't defended that well with him out there now they have actually played Bamba and Vucevic together some I I'm gonna actually look this up right now on the pod let's see how it works with Bamba and Vucevic together versus just Bamba do you have a hypothesis danny
2: i'm guessing they're bad in both and they're but they're worse with those two guys i'm trying to remember because it's such a small sample i'm trying to remember if i've seen those guys play together if they've done well
0: Uh, yeah i I usually remember them getting beat pretty badly but you know because i think that's this this is good this we're gonna do like actual research here and see if our hypothesis is correct.
2: oh god i just saw the numbers oh god have you gotten to no, it yet
0: do you want to let's tell, tell me what it is
2: okay um bomba i'll start this way bomba without vooch 16 minutes a game negative 12.1 net rating mostly because of that horrendous offense you know 91.5 offensive rating bomba and vooch together only 4.5 you know it's not many minutes overall like 50 negative 46.7 net rating
0: <laughs> but i mean with isaac out they don't have like a backup power forward on the team you know like it Bo almost has to i mean otherwise you're going to like melvin frazier like they had to start west at Wundu, although that didn't kill them uh but you know Wundu is not
2: it did kill them but a did not do a whole heck of a lot he was not a big part of a part of that win and yeah i mean so there are some numbers like before today's win over the spurs the the magic had a defensive rating below 100 without vooch on the floor which is pretty dang good i mean granted if you're not if you're scoring 90 points per hundred possessions then it doesn't look as good but you know I'm, i'm just really interested in seeing what this like what this team is because and it might just be that this is I, a lost year I, because they're just I'm not interested. so under talented exactly
0: what they are they're just never going to be able to score and then the only way they can score even halfway passably is to put Vucevic out there and then they're never going to stop anybody so they just can't put effective well, units on the floor
2: I'll, I'll, clar- I'll clarify what interests me what interests me is can the, like because these lineups without Vucic that are defending so well if they start to go to something more like that with the starting five like if it's Bamba and Gordon maybe not with Isaac like maybe they start Terrence Ross. So they go to something that looks more like what an NBA team would be. If those guys can still stop People at a reliable rate, then getting better talent at point guard, you know, that sort of thing can make a big difference. Now, if they are a little bit shakier, they look like, oh, maybe they're pretty good, but not great in those lineups, and I'll be something different. The problem is that requires Steve, Lifford, Steve Clifford changing, and those lineups are probably going to get worked. So it, it's kind of hard for a coach to say, oh, well, I'm going to experiment with things that are going to make my team worse. That's generally against what they are comfortable doing.
0: Yeah. And also interesting, you know, they claimed Jarrell Martin, or uh, I'm sorry, they traded for Jarrell. Martin and gave him a spot on the roster and he can't even get on the floor when Jonathan Isaac is injured they're going to like it wouldn't do they're going to uh bomb but the four which as we talked about was terrible so uh this is like kind of the second year in a row that Martin has seemed like he could be a cut candidate and then just like made the team somehow uh because remember like there's a report at the start of Memphis's training camp that he was going to get cut and then he like somehow got them played well enough to get them to keep him around. Maybe he's just like unbelievable in practice.
2: Not not only did they keep him around, they picked up that That's option, right. yeah. which I'm sure they regret at this point. Like if because they could have just not had to trade for dakari johnson and then immediately cut him
0: <laughs> no the the best part was that you had to spend like 30 minutes looking that up or i'm sorry 30 seconds looking that up because uh i didn't remember who they traded him for either to be honest because i forgot that
2: yeah. i do i knew he played center i knew he got traded from oklahoma city to orlando we're getting old man this is terrifying
0: yeah. uh all right that, that's enough uh, on the magic but uh you know i mean there the, the were we're seeing a lot of teams that are just turning into, like, the have-nots, like, very clearly already here, you know, 10 games in to the season. One of those teams that actually, though, has played slightly better than I thought they would is the New York Knicks. They are 3-7. and seven two and five since the last 15 and 60 but their negative 4.5 net rating actually isn't that bad that's 21st in the league somehow they have the 18th ranked offense that is a shocking to me and the 19th ranked defense that's also really surprising to me uh that they have done that well tim hardaway is having a pretty nice start to the year average efficiency but real high usage rate on a team like this that actually like is very important you know he's been a valuable player uh, for them i mean you know and they haven't been getting killed uh, defensively with him out there and a big part of that i think is because they've gone to this really interesting young athletic starting lineup over the last four games
2: yeah so the big change is actually on the interior so they're going with noah vonley and then second round pick mitchell robinson then to complete the rotation hardaway damian dotson and frank Nokina. and it's a really fun group like I I enjoy watching the start of Knicks games I, one of the early games it might even have been the first time they used this was against the Warriors and Nokina did a spectacular job overall on Steph Curry you know there were a couple times where he got beat and one of the biggest testaments to how well Frank was guarding Curry one on one was that they had to go to all the off ball stuff which I mean Steph Curry is unbelievable at but he wasn't beating Nokina reliably one on one and then the other thing that that Knicks lineup does granted that's that's one on one defense against point guard but they can eat on the offensive glass and that's been a big competitive advantage for them with that lineup
0: yeah i mean they really have been playing two traditional bigs most of the time with bonley and robinson they're even going with lineups that have robinson at the four uh, and Cantor together
2: oh something on that I, I mitchell robinson to me as as athletic as he is and i mean he's ridiculous but i think of him more as a vertical athlete than a lateral one at least at this point in his career i don't think he can defend fours. like when he's trying to trail guys and get into all that stuff at least at this point and maybe forever that's a, probably not a great ask for him Yeah, i mean
0: it's it's tough for him too because with Cantor out there his instinct is to help and, and i think you know this could be one of those things where Fizdale in, in a developmental season just to get him more comfortable defending on the perimeter if he does need to switch to know the rules on shooters uh like he came off the strong side corner today and gave up a three uh trying to help out Cantor inside but you know that's not really his job when you're in the strong side corner uh but i i really have liked what i've seen from him. and he had this unbelievable dunk today where he just like jumped twice when dwight howard barely jumped like tipped it to himself off the backboard and then just like popped right back up for a dunk like barely even had to bring the ball down at all like it, he's really just a remarkable athlete and you know uh, another one of these these ones where it's like man like I guess his story just got in the way, but like how the hell this guy lasted to pick number 36 is pretty remarkable. Um, a couple other random observations here uh, Emmanuel Moutier made his return to the lineup. He actually has taken Trey Burke's spot in the rotation at backup point guard. I don't expect that to last too long, Moody. They've played okay with him on the floor in the early going here, but only 41 minutes. He looks really out of shape. Like he looks like a good 15 pounds overweight. Uh and like there's a play today where Kelly Oubre was denying him on the perimeter. He like just ran back and forth and tried to get a DHO like three times and just couldn't do it cuz he just wasn't fast enough. He's hit like a few mid rangers and, and I think, you know, they want to get a look at him. But I I do expect that if they're trying to win games, they'll go back to Burke eventually. Uh, Another really pleasant surprise has been to a guy, uh, Alonzo Trier, who unfortunately got popped for a technical today, which I didn't think he deserved. It was a double technical after John Wall blocked his shot from behind. Uh, Unfortunately, John Wall, you know, has about $160 million guaranteed coming to him after this year. And... Trier uh, is making four thousand bucks a game, and two thousand of it just went into the pocket of the league, which was kind of too bad.
2: Yeah, I mean, take take half a pay cut or half a, half a paycheck for this one. And I've really liked Trier so far. He is able to get to the rim better than you would expect for a guy who's on a two way. Be I mean, he was an athletic talent back when he was at Arizona too. But sixteen of twenty two at the rim before their loss today to to Washington. Then he's making his mid midrangers so far. I'm not entirely sure if that's going to continue. And then so far six of. 14 on threes which of course you take any day of the week from somebody who has his skill set and everything and so they're running into an issue with tree or they will the Knicks are not there yet and thankfully for them the the league rules on counting days on a two-way contract have become more lax so he they can get more out of it but at this early stage considering he can be a part of their rotation they probably will have to make a decision on whether to convert him and this is going to be a challenge for the front office not because the Knicks lack worthy cut candidates because they have plenty but because because those players have more, greater commitments like Ron Baker is a good example it's like I would rather have a longer treer on this roster than Ron Baker every day of the week but Ron Baker is making a bunch of money and it would be a pretty big embarrassment even though this is for a, a different front office or even if they wanted to go with Moutier I think you probably keep Moutier as an as a depth guard and just see what he has because he's restricted but that's a harder decision for a team to make than it is for me to make as an armchair GM
0: just to give you the numbers these are kind of funny plus 19.1 net rating with Cantor and Robinson on the floor at only across 60 possessions so not very much they have a 147 offensive rating and they're giving up a 128 defensive rating (laughs) <laughs> and they are getting 48% of offensive rebounds with those two on the floor together. Uh, but yet actually like not defensive rebounding that well either. Uh, they are fouling, I'm sorry, they are getting to the foul line a ton. Uh, so yeah, I mean like kind of, you know, they're going to that maybe like end, maybe like four minute mark of the first and third. So tune into a Knicks game to see those two guys play together. It, it'll be interesting. It's uh, not, not the type of thing that we see a lot of these days. Let's move on now to... <clears throat> bucks here, but it'll actually be bucks there. Because first, we're going to talk about the Eero home Wi-Fi system, which brings you a fast, reliable connection in every room of the house. They've now got a second generation and the Eero beacon to build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to the home. When you add Eero Plus, their service, you can get total network protection with the ability to block malicious and unwanted content across your entire network. That is uh, useful. Uh, If you have a family, you can choose what your kids can and can't visit right from their app. Get rid of annoying ads and pop-ups on all your devices devices and their ad blocking improves load times for ad heavy sites so you can browse and stream faster than ever before and you'll have to get all of your ads from podcasts instead so if you have a house where just one router isn't cutting it yet you're looking for a way to extend the range go to Eero. that's eero.com slash capspace enter the code capspace at checkout and you can get a hundred dollars off their Eero base unit and two beacons package and a year of Euro plus as well. It's hundred dollars off. That's a massive discount. That's eeroero.com com slash Cap Space. Enter that Cap Space code at checkout and let them know that you came from us. So we talked about the Bucks extensively in the context of their game against the Celtics. But it's pretty clear, especially at home, that these guys are just wrecking any like mediocre to bad team that comes in right now. Eight and one, they have had a lot of home games, but six and one since the last fifteen and sixty, they have have a net rating of 16.9 in non-garbage time that is first in the nba second in offense third in defense they now project for 54 wins that would be second highest projection in the nba and the three-pointer second highest in the east east, thank you yes sorry uh the three-pointer has been the Genesis of their offensive improvement.
2: It has, and I mean, over the the two weeks that we did this, I put out a, a feeler on on Twitter for because somebody I, I was probably samus Fondiari was talking about the idea of players and teams who evolve a lot because of a coaching change, and I mostly sarcastically said it should involve a caterpillar to a butterfly because one of the nicknames, I, partially because of his own use of the term, has Mark Jackson being called the caterpillar because that's what happened to the Warriors after when they swapped him for Steph Curry, or sorry, swapped him for Steve Kerr. And And somebody submitted, we'll go to biology class for a minute, the term eclosion, which is actually beautifully, first of all, it's a cool word feels like a strauss word and it, it's basically when an, an insect get breaks out of the uh the one of the stages of development when they kind of break out of their their shell and that's really what's happened with the milwaukee bucks i mean last year they were 25th in three-point proportion they're now up to third it helps that they're making almost 40 of them like that, that part will probably tone down and the most striking example of this is chris middleton i mean middleton has the rep as a shooter this isn't like brooke lopez a few years ago basically not shooting threes to getting there okay last year year chris middleton took and this is per 100 possessions he took 14 and a half twos per hundred possessions and 6.83s now 8.82s and 11.23s so he's basically swapped a whole bunch of those shots and even more ridiculous than that early in his career both when he was on the pistons and when he was on the bucks middleton was taking about a quarter of his shots as long too, 16 feet to the three-point line right now that's three percent of the shots that he's taking
0: yeah and i like too that when he does Go to the isolation game. He's getting into somewhat better position, right? And he's able to shoot over the top of guys. He still has that great touch, but when that's a thirteen footer instead of a twenty footer, it's so much easier of a shot. I think like Kevin Durant has really benefited from that as well. His as ability to get just a little bit closer in this Warriors offense than maybe he did in OKC. uh Milton's thirty-one out of sixty-one on threes, over fifty percent, even after a tough game in Boston when when he was only three out of ten. Uh, I mean, they just have been quality up and down the lineup every rotation player it's a net rating of 9.5 or better and that's before today's destruction of the kings they had well over 53 point attempts against the kings um the one thing that's a little bit surprising you know Giannis, if they keep playing this well is probably going to get some mvp buzz but he's actually not playing quite as well statistically on offense as he was last year uh defensively certainly it has been better i think uh he's got a 25 pr this year so that's down a couple of points uh and he still can't hit a shot away from the rim the good news though is that he's taking 57% of his shots of the room that's up from fewer than half of his shots before so he's taking advantage of the increased spacing so that part of his game looks good getting to the basket he's doing it more than ever he's finishing well over 70% there Uh, again But just the jump shot hasn't gotten much better. He's one out of 17 on three-pointers. So I think he's, you know, he came in kind of being aggressive, but one out of 17 will shut down your aggression real quickly. It was 31% last year. It wasn't awful on 140 attempts. Another thing that he's doing that's made him worse statistically this year is he's turning it over a ton. He's 6% higher turnover rate uh and that's a little bit of a surprise to me given that he has more space but the big issue there is transition he's turned it over on 12 of his 42 transition possessions that's not going to continue uh last year he only turned it over on 14 percent of his possessions in transition instead of the 28 uh that he's had this year but it is worth noting that between you know his true shooting percentage only like 56 that's pretty average and then turning it over as much as he has he's actually been a below average efficiency player at least in terms of his own offense obviously he opens things up a ton uh, for other guys uh when he has to create he hasn't been that efficient in iso in post-up i mean he, he's had some nice plays uh you know especially when he gets on smaller guys but that hasn't been that efficient when he actually has to create there where he really you know he can do that stuff but i don't think he's elite in that role compared to some other guys but then the big difference between him and some of these other guys is offensive rebounding cuts running the lane in transition like he's so good at those and so efficient and gets so many of those opportunities that that's where he kind of makes up the efficiency uh, with some of these other creators you know who are doing more of their work on the ball he's able to work great as an off ball guy and they've been doing a ton of pick and roll stuff with him as well a ton of dho stuff at, at the elbow with him and then getting him rolling to the rim uh which you know is, is devastating
2: it really is and that was something we talked about in that boston milwaukee game was that even though there were elements of that game where it felt like he was being kind of taken away that the good parts were just so incredible i, still, I think he still ended up with 30 in that i also want to mention this is a career high in terms of assist rate so far and a career uh, not a career high High, but close to a career high in turnovers. That's why he has, I believe, right now he has the highest usage in the entire league. Partially because the turnover rate is so high, and so because that ends up possession too. And even though he's, you know, and so it's it's definitely a different, you know, like a different mix for Giannis than some of the other players in the conversation. I agree with you that right now he wouldn't be there. But if you if he can separate out some of the fat, trim some of the fat in this and some of those turnovers, that's probably the best place to do it. It's just remarkable. He's kind of efficient like a big man because in many ways he is, but he also can do so much more with the ball in his hands.
0: Let's turn to Milwaukee a little bit of a disappointing start to the season for them three and five two and three since the last time we did this right at pretty much average I guess I shouldn't say disappointing like they're pretty much about where we thought they would be 0.6 net rating is 15th in the NBA 13th in offense maybe a little better than we thought sixth in what now what does that say oh there's a typo in the sheet you gotta find it the heat are the 15th ranked defense in the nba so they are team average so far they're projected at 39 wins which still would have them eighth in the eastern conference uh and as i was kind of just going through stuff to find that was interesting well i didn't find anything (laughs) (laughs) they nothing really stands out about their shot chart you know they they're getting a decent number of threes decent number of shots uh, at the rim not taking too many long twos uh so i decided instead that we should take a little bit closer of a look at, at some of their big guys uh first off can we get an update on the two most important statistics concerning hassan whiteside
2: it was at zero zero Hassan Whiteside threes versus Hassan Whiteside assists until their loss to Atlanta, and then he tipped in one of each. Which, thankfully, because of the hashtag Whiteside three versus Whiteside assists, I get lots of mentions whenever one of either of them <laughs> happens. I enjoy that. I'm happy. Keep please keep doing it. And he got the thankfully he got the three first, so people were going crazy that he got the three before the assist. Then he got the he got that in the same game, and Whiteside. I mean it's this it's this strange dichotomy because there really is a lot to like in his game i mean what and, and the the good white side stuff is is absolutely there and i think sometimes especially I, I i consider myself a member of this group i i fixate on some of the strange negatives he has but then you just kind of sit there and you go well i mean well what do you what is his role on a team like if, if he were on a better team than this and miami's not bad by any means but if he were on like let's say a top four seed like how would this work and that's where i kind of get concerned and you see some of that in his offensive profile
0: yeah i mean the big issue here is for a guy like him 51 true shooting is just not good enough that's well below average for the league not to mention uh for a center and i was like oh maybe you know his explosion is declined like he's starting to shoot poorly like how could he possibly have 51 true shooting that's a that's really miserable part of it is the free throws he's shooting 55 from the foul line. that doesn't help but he's never been a great foul shooter he's shooting 73 at the rim that's still really good right but he takes less than half of his shots At the rim, somehow. Some of that is the ubiquitous post-ups in which he actually has 16 points on 22 possessions, which is better than I thought it would be. Uh, But, you know, he's not getting, like, great position putting guys in the goal. He's going to just flip up a jump hook from nine feet away that's contested that's probably not going to work uh to be very efficient uh and then he has three points on 10 possessions in transition a little bit misleading because he's missed some free throws off of those he's been grabbing and going the last like four or five games and it actually doesn't look that horrible and he had one play where he just like picked up his dribble at half court and tried to throw it to the point guard and De'Aaron fox pick six him. but he actually like gets into the lane on some of these because these teams are like oh well we're not gonna help on this drive and so he actually gets there and will get fouled every once in a while uh maybe they should help because he's probably not going to pass the ball (laughs) uh signs point to no yeah but he's also his block rate you know i mean as we mentioned he was injured last year his block rate is looking much better uh 8.1 percent in the early going that's up from 5.9 last year and he's actually you know they've been positive with him on the floor
2: yeah and this is the best rebound rate so far of his career yeah 43% I mean, 43% defensive rebounds. Of, yeah, that's not going to continue no. just because that doesn't continue for anybody. But yeah, I mean, so you, you have all of those different elements it, and, and so there, there are positives there, but then, you know, lack of... He, so he does certain things well defensively, but then he doesn't really have versatility. You can't go to some of the swarming stuff if you have him out there. I mean, or you just have him hang back and everybody else does it. But yeah, I mean, so you definitely do have the positives in that every once in a while when I watch Bam, I go, oh, well, there's so much... They're, they're definitely more fun to watch when Bam's out there. That's that's, But that's... Fun and being successful are two very, very different things. And one of the strange issues with Bam is that he hasn't been doing as well on finishing other than post ups. Like I've never thought of him as being a particularly good post up guy. But other than that, it seems like it should just be him running and dunking on people. And it has as much as I thought. Yeah, he's
0: 50% around the rim this year uh in the half court. Last year was 55%. That's not a great number. You'd think you'd be an absolute monster there. You know, that's about average uh, across all positions. But that number is a little misleading because he gets a lot of tips. In the offensive glass that just don't go in especially this year like he's missed 14 shots around the rim and probably five of them were just like you know tough tips that you know i'm not going to hold it against him uh because he created that shot to begin with but he is not that adept at shielding the ball from smaller players you'll see him get blocked by smaller guys get stripped on the way up uh he's also doing some grab and go stuff i think they're more comfortable with him doing that a lot of times he'll just do it and then get into like a dribble handoff or something he'll go right to the rim every once in a while but i think he is totally fine doing that um last thing on these guys that the heat are really good with either Dragic or richardson on the court uh and then everyone else on the team essentially has an even or below net rating um it's also interesting that those two guys are their top two creators i mean richardson usage has gone crazy we'll talk about that at another time but uh those two guys rarely turn it over and then all the support guys who you think oh like they should have a low turnover rate all they're doing is like catching and shooting they don't have to create stuff those guys all turn it over way too much you know those guys all have above average turnover rates um and then you know the Heat are continuing to get drives to the rim. You know, two years ago when they closed on that thirty-one to ten run and almost made the playoffs, or maybe it was thirty and eleven. I think it was thirty and eleven. Actually, uh, they
2: it was thirty and eleven. Yeah,
0: they uh, were getting to the rim a ton. It was all about the driving kicks with Waiters and Pickler, and they're still fifth in the NBA in drives per game. Although as you go through that list, it's not really correlated with offensive success and for example the jazz lead the league at 56 drives per game uh golden state has only 25 drives per game so that's seven fewer than anybody else and obviously golden state is the best offense in the nba so that'll be something to kind of think about a little bit is you know how our teams you know you think oh drive to the basket that's like awesome like that should be one of the foundations of your offense but you know that's not necessarily the case especially when you know you're hoping that you can beat teams with the pass a little bit more get some more system buckets that's obviously what golden state does and they of course hit plenty of mid-rangers bomb plenty of threes as well uh anything else on them or shall we move on here
2: one more thing I, it's a small sample size of course but bam is turning the ball over on almost 20% of his possession uh 20% like that's a turnover rate of 20% yeah not a 20% of the times he touches the ball but like that's crazy high for a guy who basically shouldn't be doing much and it's not I don't think it's going to stay that because it was 14% last year so but that you know you talked about the support players I mean you also like Justice Winslow has a high rate a couple of the other guys but it's it's weird with them but we can move on to the Indiana Pacers the Pacers are a somewhat quiet outside of the great state of indiana seven and three five and two since the last 15 and 60 their plus 6.1 net rating puts them seventh in the league they are currently eighth in offense 10th in defense and their 538 projection puts them at 47 wins which would be fifth in the west or sorry east right behind the sixers so they would theoretically that would be the first round matchup one raw, small roster move for them they waived ben Moore, and they have not replaced him as of now they still you nope, know, they have the capacity to do it whenever it doesn't really make a big difference and let's start i mean we're not going to break it down possession by possession but they had an incredibly fun one of my favorite games of the season so far win over boston oladipo and kyrie ring were just just trading haymakers and often kyrie was ended up on oladipo way more often than i would have expected and it it peaked it crescendoed i mean they were both hitting a lot of big shots kyrie had some threes oladipo had had some threes and some twos and the celtics missed a basket so they were but they were already up two with i think was like 13 seconds to go the pacers had a timeout but go no timeout Oladipo dribbles the ball before and then just drops a three right in Kyrie's eye incidentally almost the same place on the floor where Kyrie hit the three that won game seven of the 2016 finals and it was just the net barely moved it was spectacular and I mean we'll get into it a little bit later but Oladipo I mean the big shot making a lot of the elements of last season are absolutely there
0: yeah 37 percent from downtown is big I mean and with the tough mix of shots that he takes that's huge and then 49 percent on mid-rangers which are all off the dribble i mean those are if he can continue to shoot like that i mean that's still very very valuable this pacers team continues to take a ton of shots from mid-range but they have some pretty good mid-range shooters as it turns out on the This team, you know, Sabonis really broke out. We'll talk a little bit more about him. He had that ridiculous game against the Knicks, but then Miles Turner also had a pretty good game uh, as they closed against the Bulls and won that one late. A little disappointing, Turner, only 1.3 three point attempts per game, and he is two out of 13. Really, the hope again would be that they can get some more threes up, that he can space more. You know, we haven't really seen that from him in particular. But they've got a lot of guys shooting it well from three, just not getting a ton of them up. You know, McDermott, Evans, Corey Joseph, and Bogdanovich, all those guys are over 40% from downtown. The only guy who's a good shooter struggling so far is uh, Collison
2: so i don't want to go too deep into the 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 nitty-gritty of the stats on it but i've said before that i'm going to track oladipo in three different categories uh pull up threes catch and shoot threes and pull up twos over the course of this season and so i'm just going to give the general state at this point what i think is really fascinating is that oladipo last year was kind of split into two segments there was the absolutely molten first segment of the year which was most of the year It was like 60 or something like that and then he cooled off a little bit later after the all-star break m- hitting shots he was still an effective player but it was different and what, what i I found striking is that part of the reason why we like to look at the whole is because the good parts and the bad parts, unless there's something non-representative, they all count. And when you look at Oladipo's figures in those three areas right now, he's largely in line with what he did over the totality of last year. So the first part wasn't necessarily totally predictive. The second part wasn't the biggest difference so far. And I'm expecting this to regress just because it almost always does. He's shooting 49% on pull-up twos, which are a third of the shots he's taking. So if that tones down a little bit, that'll hurt but he upon the other stuff some more proportions some more success rate and i mean he was an all nba caliber player last year so if he can keep that going then he can be a huge part of their offensive success and then of course he gets a ton of steals and does other positives defensively as well
0: do you think they'll finish the season with a better record than philly you know it seems like it's kind of boston milwaukee toronto at the top here uh and then Philly has fallen a little bit behind. You know, they're six and five. With the, they could come around. They got a lot of guys not playing that well. uh Do you think they finish higher than Philly this year?
2: My instinct is still no. I believe in Philly's talent, but there is an easy argument to make because Indiana knows exactly what they are. As long as they stay healthy and they have some, I mean, they don't have a replacement for. Actually, they have a better replacement for Oladipo and Tyreek than they have before. And they have you know duplicate point guards and some of the other spots. So yeah, I, I there's an argument for it, but I still think Philly's ceiling is higher. Like they can just they. I feel like they're more comfortable. To to go on like a 10 to 15 game win streak where they look amazing even if they are inconsistent than something like the Pacers but I am totally open to that argument because the Pacers have been better this year overall the last thing I really wanted to talk about with them we got asked multiple times to talk about Sabonis big he had this stretch at the end of the first quarter against the Knicks where he had 13 points five rebounds in about five minutes at the end of that facing a bunch of different opposition because that's right around when teams turn the lineup over and I watched the entire thing offense and defense and he did do well well, but my biggest takeaway from it was actually that Tyreek Evans has really, really helped their second unit because that was mostly Tyreek time. And two of the baskets that Sabonis got were were really created by the other team respecting Tyreek Evans driving so much that they left Sabonis pretty much open, and Tyreek just threaded the ball, not too hard a pass, but you know a, a decent pass, and Sabonis just gets the easy finish. So is that a good job by Sabonis? Sure. Is it created by Tyreek? Yes, I would say so. And there were other ones like he beat Mario Hezonja to an offensive rebound and then got a layup because Mario Hazonia, unsurprisingly does not know that Sabonis is basically one-handed but the best play that Sabonis had he beat Ennis Canner by basically Ennis Canner was playing his left hand super hard Sabonis went right and then finished right I was I actually did a fist pump as I was watching Synergy because it was like because it, it was what you have to kind of do you don't have to be good at it you just have to do enough that you can counter it and so that was good there were a few shaky defensive plays so when I watched that I didn't see somebody who's about to set the world on fire i saw somebody who is very good at taking advantage of the seams or the the openings that are created by an opponent and the knicks created more of those than they should have but still full credit to sabonis for doing that
0: yeah well shout out uh ricardo voice working with him in the summer front of the program uh, at uh gonzaga work work on that right hand let's move to the detroit pistons four and four but they are still kind of winning the paper tiger award for me even at four and four they're two and four in the last two weeks. Negative 2.8 net rating is 20th in the NBA. 25th ranked offense, though. And they do have the 12th ranked defense worth noting that they've had a very easy schedule so far uh srs which is basketball references schedule adjusted net rating has them 21st uh, in the nba uh with like negative five uh, so they haven't been playing the greatest of opposition so far uh the big bright spot though has been blake griffin i'm going to dig into it a little bit more here and see whether we think this is sustainable 25 pr is a career high 61 true shooting is a career high 31 usage is a Career high and just his regular stats 29 points, 11 rebounds, 4.5 assists. The crazy thing is, he's hitting 46% from downtown, six attempts a game, and he's not taking any long twos at all.
2: Yeah, I talked about this with Chris Middleton, and Blake Griffin is an even more striking example. So, in 2015 16, which was the year he only played part of a dude to an injury, 46% of Blake Griffin's shots were long twos. That 46% was 11% last year, and it's three percent this year incredible and he's made nine jumpers on
0: the air off the dribble and eight of them are three pointers so but he's that great percentage on jumpers off the dribble, and that won't continue shooting 68 percent effective field goal percentage on jumpers off the dribble but kevin pelton made this point that if he shoots well enough off the dribble on threes to make big guys guard him out there now he can blow by and really cause problems uh a lot of those jumpers even you know it's not even like an iso it's out of pick and roll where he's actually taking three point jump shots out of pick and roll and he's working in a much different way already 31 possessions as the pick and roll ball handler and great percentages there but again a lot of that's coming out of that unsustainable three-point shooting off the dribble and, and you mentioned how he's evolved 31 pick and roll ball handler possessions seven roll man possessions how crazy is that danny like to think the Blake. Griffin used to be one of the best pick and roll players in the league and now he's handling the ball in pick and roll and finishing possessions more than four times as often as he's actually working as a role man
2: it's amazing and one of the challenges for the pistons so far here has been and this relates to blake's creation as a pick and roll guy is that other than Blake Griffin and Ish Smith, nobody on this team is making threes. So those two guys are both over 40%. We already talked about it with, with Blake. The rest of the team, 44 of 188, which is 23% on the season. I mean, there are a lot of just, just rough, rough numbers overall. And they're about middle of the road in three-point attempt rate. So you hope that that gets that, that overall that gets better, because then also that forces opponents to defend those guys out there. And so, I mean, there, there certainly are some elements of the Pistons that could be really interesting moving forward. And something you mentioned, their defense. And I'm still skeptical. Like when I watch them, you you see some of the, some of the stuff and they're, they have the second lowest opponent three point shooting percentage this year. They're at 32% right now. Boston's at 29, but other than that, you know, the teams are more in the, you know, mid thirties is more about where you would expect it to be. So that would go back a little bit and they're giving up, but the thing that will regress to the mean in the positive way for them is they're giving up 70% shooting at the rim right now
0: yeah i mean what did the calves give up last year like 69 percent. so yeah i mean there is there is an upper bound on that even if you're really bad i mean teams in general are shooting better at the rim this year than they ever have but you know you would think that that would drop at least to like you know the 65 percent range uh but i mean when you think about who's on this team other than drummond there's nobody who can stop anybody at the rim i mean zaza has been one of the worst rim protecting centers in the league for a long time griffin doesn't block any shots John Luer is not going to be going out there if he plays a, a little bit uh and, and another big problem for them and now they've played in bead twice already and and he's fouled out new to their entire team as we talked about earlier but they are 29th in fouling they they give up they foul the second most often in the league and when you have as little big man depth as they do and you're like pachulia he's been inadequate you know he's not an NBA rotation player anymore he's averaging 7.3 fouls per 36 minutes Luer, you know basically hasn't played in a year he they finally had to bring him in against philly you know we'll see i'm skeptical that he can get back to being a decent rotation guy though he was at one point in his career it would help maybe if they could get some minutes for gr3 as the backup four but he's not really playing at all he doesn't appear to have impressed dwayne casey that contract is not I wasn't quite as high on that as some others were basically four and a half million a year with a second year non-guaranteed so I just didn't really care for what he had shown in Indiana you know compared to maybe some other guys that were sort of in that athletic wing who hasn't done much yet archetype uh so I mean Blake and Ash are shooting unsustainably well from three the rest of the guys are shooting really poorly including some pretty good shooters they'll get canard back like I think they'll probably be a team that'll shoot Below average from three, but better than 31% they're shooting. But, you know, I just don't see them necessarily being a top-20 offense. Like, they just have to run so much through Blake... Uh, reggie jackson is struggling to do basically anything other than shoot from the three-point line and now he's actually regressed down to to around 30 percent. from there too uh, i just uh, i'm not sure how these guys get much better i mean if they still have a terrible i shouldn't say terrible but a pretty bad point differential against an easy schedule and blake has been playing out of his mind like this
2: the really good news if if you're defining success for the pistons this year is making the playoffs is that there aren't really many teams that are planting a flag a above them that you you would expect, especially with the uncertainty, you know, in Charlotte and the Wizards struggling so much. I mean, they're two and seven. I think they'll they'll rebound from that. So, I mean, basically, if they stay healthier than at least one of the other teams in kind of the bottom half of the East, they might make it in. But yeah, this has been to me a, a largely uninspiring starter than Blake, who's obviously been fabulous. And so they're going to need something from someone else. And something to remember about this Pistons team is they're incredibly expensive. So it's going to be hard for them to get better other than their draft picks working out and maybe doing well with minimum contracts. So it's a challenging place to be for sure, but you know, they can still absolutely make the most of it. And that is more than we can say for the next team, because the next team is the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavaliers are one in eight, one in five since the last 1560. They are dead last in net rating, 21st in offense, last in defense, and 538 currently projects them to finish with 23 wins, which is tied with the Hawks for worst in the Eastern Conference.
0: Oh, they're not just last in defense. 119.8 defensive rating in non-garbage time is over two points per 100 possessions worse than the 29th rated team. They are awful defensively. I guess LeBron James wasn't the problem after all. (laughs) It's it's the personnel uh, and the system. And,
2: and, and keep in mind the teams at the bottom that's the bulls the and the Suns, and then the the two wolves are down there too and those are teams that we've killed for their defense like this whole year and they're four points per hundred possessions worse
0: and it won't get better offensively i don't think anytime soon because kevin love did in fact have to undergo surgery on that toe he will be reevaluated in six weeks so hard to imagine that he will return any sooner than maybe you know 10 weeks from now nine weeks from now uh and you know hope at this point it's let's just hope he's healthy by the trade deadline so we can showcase him a little bit uh if you're cleveland uh they offensively i'm actually surprised that they're as high as 21st although they have also played a pretty easy schedule against uh, some pretty bad defensive teams at times like the hawks uh but they are second in the percentage of their shots from mid-range behind the spurs who are just insane in that regard i'm sure we'll talk about that again next 15 and 16 they are 29th in the percentage of shots they're taking from three which they actually have guys who in theory can shoot three pointers uh but just aren't or can't get open for them uh at least they are 14th in percentage of shots at the rim, and they're getting a few offensive rebounds that helps your shots at the rim, but they're 28th in shooting. And Joe Varden, who has done a fantastic job for the Athletic, theathletic.com/slash cap space, sign up for a discount there. Joe Varden continues to detail some of the turmoil with this squad.
2: Yeah, I thought the most interesting nugget on his piece that came out, I think that came out on on Sunday morning, was the reporting around Kyle Korver. So the first con- contract that altman once he took over from david griffin and all that boondoggle the first guy he signed was corver on that three-year 22 million dollar contract where the final year is only partially guaranteed and according to varden it came with and this is, this is his word as an understanding that if lebron james were to leave which everybody knew was a possibility at that point that the Cavs would either trade corver or buy him out during that off season so that he could find a place to be and everything like that and lebron left so corver asked them to fulfill their end of the agreement and according to varden the Cavs refused because they wanted him to play and for the team to try to win and this is really problematic for a couple of different reasons for the for the reputation of their front office because not much changed from what from what they they understood and so if you have a front office that part of the reason corver might have taken that contract as opposed to maybe going somewhere else maybe i think it sounds like the Cavs probably offered him more money was the idea that he could kind of have his cake and eat it too that he could be with lebron as long as that was there and then there was no real point for him afterwards and for that understanding to be broken for the reason that they were trying to win is pretty bad because it was not a surprise i mean while this is on the lower band i talked about this with dan feldman when he was on real jam radio this is in the lower end of the possibilities for the Cavs. this was not unforeseen well and
0: the hilarious thing is that they're trying to win and they told him they wanted to keep him so they could win and then they told him two games into the season that you're not going to play anymore <laughs> i mean and you could tell corver is pissed because you would imagine this is coming from his side and for the Cavs, it's such a shit show there but yet like all of the media and the relationships that was there before when lebron was there like you know is still around to some degree and so that means that like all this stuff is still getting out when you know if this were orlando and they've just been bad for six years like we probably wouldn't have ever even heard any of this stuff so yeah that is really terrible uh and this idea that like that they deluded themselves into thinking they're gonna compete this year i mean you know anyone else could have told you different like the, the vegas over under was 30 games we both took the under that's looking pretty good right now uh they have trailed now by at least 16 points in eight of the nine games this season uh so I wanted to play a little game here and compare this team to their 2010-11 team. That team, of course, after they lost LeBron went 19 and 63. That team was 29th in both offense and defense, so this current Cavs team is doing a little bit better there. Uh but let's just compare. We'll, we'll go through it here. We got got the rosters in front of us. Who would you say is the best player on that Cavs team?
2: Well, I mean, I thought going into that year I, that it was going to be Mo Williams, but then Mo Williams missed a bunch of time and wasn't as good. Good. yeah i can't remember probably, exactly which malady Anderson, it was but he
0: only played 31 games i guess anton jameson
2: i mean sessions had a decent year <laughs> oh, wow man. uh well and another another part of how we can have this conversation is because kevin love is unavailable right, right. Like yeah i'm talking about the current time. i mean if, if they had kevin the team, yeah
0: yeah yeah uh well so who's the best player on the Cavs who's like actually available to
2: play right now oh no oh, oh no. yes <laughs> oh oh this is making me so sad Clarkson? Is um it Clarkson? i don't I, I, morally i don't think i can say that it is he's probably um, but, I played mean, might the be best there. so
0: far which is best uh george
2: hill george hill six sixty-one percent true shooting larry nance i mean he's nance is grabbing a bunch of rebounds i think uh, uh. wait larry nance's assist percent assist rate is 24 percent. what and now <laughs> what
0: nate and danny look at box scores together uh so all right you you have to pick someone i'm i'm going with uh i'm going with george
2: hill i kind of want to go with rodney hood but you know what i'm going to go with larry nance anyway because george hill's been bothering me this year
0: oh so oh. Who, who wins oh. I, I think oh. i think you got to give it to uh probably got to give it to, to to this team i mean just because like some of those guys didn't i play, think so didn't play the many games and obviously if love is healthy it, it would have to be him all right yeah it's him uh this will also be amusing best defensive player on that team uh in 2011 maybe yeah yeah that'd probably be it but he only played he only played 31 games among players who played 50 or more games uh oh no yeah uh christian Ayenga had some athleticism uh and he only played 44 anthony parker anthony Parker would be the answer yeah, yeah it's anthony parker yeah, he played 72 games uh, at age 35 god and
2: hickson i remember hickson as being a bad defender too. oh yeah
0: he was he was atrocious sessions is atrocious uh all right best defensive player on this Cavs team
2: i mean is not playing so. i guess tristan
0: thompson still hill he, that's still better tristan thompson still i mean he's he's struggling yeah. he's not in the same shape he used to be but uh okay all right so so the current version is two for two uh okay which team had the better coach slash voice of head coach
2: so that was scott byron right? scott or was that
0: versus uh larry drew's hand holding a soccer. drew poke-up. i think it's easily larry drew larry drew has had like like playoff seasons he yeah, went Larry Drew in- had success yeah with he was nine and one as yeah. interim coach. he's gotten this team to one win uh yeah i think larry drew is clearly better as than that than that version of byron scott uh although scott you know did make two nba finals uh, a while ago uh okay last one here uh best prospect on the team I mean, I guess it's got to be so we're Sexton. not allowed to
2: we're not allowed we're not allowed to pick the uh the draft choice that <laughs> that they got for baron davis in what is still one of the stupidest trades in nba history by the clippers can we talk about that for a brief second as being like we we should do a podcast on this at some point i have like a 10 minute rant on this book on this trade yeah the clippers traded away an unprotected first round pick to dump baron davis's contract before right before everybody knew there was going to be an amnesty that pick became Kyrie blanking Irving they could have had Kyrie Irving on that Clippers team would have been amazing
0: uh so uh but that doesn't answer the question
2: Colin Sexton versus oh we can't count Jetty
0: Oh, Sexton is, is pure prospect Jetty.
2: Yeah, he's a he's a he's a he's a higher ceiling prospect, sure.
0: Uh I guess it would be I mean the the, the scary thing about that team was I mean they really of guys under twenty five, they really didn't have anyone who made any kind of an impact. Like Hickson is probably the only guy. And and Booby Gibson who was like out of the league very shortly thereafter as well. So I guess yeah, Sexton versus Hickson, I'll probably I'll probably go with Sexton.
2: Can we just pick Luke Harangodi? You
0: mean Jack Cooley?
2: Yes, same person.
0: Alright, well that that was good. But okay, so I I guess this exercise Said that at least roster wise they're not as bad a shape uh money wise they probably were in much better shape back then with the amnesty uh mm-hmm. coming and uh but anyway we, we could talk more about that next time let's move on to the chicago bulls two and eight two and six in their last eight games uh their net rating of negative 10.1 is 27th in the league they have the 23rd ranked offense and not last in defense 115.9 29 they project for 26 wins.
2: which would put them 12th and just as a quick note again fred hoiberg had jabari parker on the floor for a defense only possession against the pacers in that game that somehow got close again well, well and it, they I, went i do
0: want to defend him there uh it,
2: oh, it... oh so this is the first the first def- defense in Chicago all year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh so the previous game paul Millsap had beasted justin holiday under the rim and got a game-winning putback and part of the reason they started jabari was just that chandler Hutchison and the rest of their wings who were playing at the four were just too small so i guess the thought was just we need a little bit more bulk uh and, and i mean you know i'm not sure that any of the other options would have been better necessarily there although like previously when they that game where they went right at jabari you know it didn't make sense to have him out there but i i don't know uh, i mean indiana had thaddeus young out there and young was just you know it's too strong for the, all the other guys so maybe that was just the thought i mean the uh management hasn't given uh fred hoiberg for the 97th year in a row it's not given him the greatest roster although obviously they have injury concerns with marking and out he, he would have been out there clearly if he were healthy
2: yeah in a future of 15 and 60 we can talk about ben Golver told me that he thought at the beginning of this year that this was the hardest coaching job that hoiberg has had that would be a fun exercise to do kind of like what we did for the Cavs of like the difficulties of his coaching jobs but we have a more fun substantive part something I wanted to do partially because of his just remarkable start to the season was compare Zach Levine's kind of his playmaking and his shooting not to last year because last year was an aberration that we can throw out the window but to 2016-17 and first of all 2016-17 that was his last f- partial season on the Timberwolves because he you know dealt with and got injured during that season and that was a way better offensive campaign than I think some people remember he was actually doing pretty yeah, well offensively I, 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 mean, I I remember defense I said was a big issue. at the
0: time, like maybe a week before he tore his ACL, I was like, Zach Levine is going to be better than Andrew Wiggins. Not that, that necessarily I've had an incredibly high opinion of either of them at the time. Uh, but uh, like I was seeing enough from him at that point to like where he was offensively a lot more than Wiggins. And they both sucked on defense. That was kind of my thinking.
2: And they still do. But so the, the, my biggest takeaway, I went through a lot of different things, was that the biggest difference between that year and this year for Levine is not necessarily his success rate in either any area or overall, it's the volume. And volume is an important factor here. I mean, it's a lot harder, generally speaking, to to do the same efficiency on a higher volume unless you just absolutely suck and then it's just taking bad shots. So that year... 58% 58% true shooting on 22 usage with a 13% uh, assist rate. This year, 59% true shooting. So that's better, but not a ton better. On 34% usage with a 20% assist rate, which is just a massively higher volume. And he's also getting to the line a lot more. That's another big takeaway. Does about 20% before. It's up to 41% now. And when you're a, you know, you make three four fifths of your free throws, then getting to the line a lot really does help as, as it is for this year. I expect his free throw rate to get to tone down just because it's way higher than it's ever been in his career and while he is more aggressive there are certain performance thresholds with it and so you know like he's been more effective as a pick and roll ball handler he's been and he's doing that a lot more this year that's one of the other big takeaways part of that is because chris dunn missed and is still missing time so with levine that that got into something that i wanted to talk with you about though which is that you know he is taking fewer deep twos and he's taking fewer threes and taking more shots at the rim but how do you expect what he has done so far to change change when they start getting these better players back when these guys are not better than Olivia necessarily but better than the guys who are playing right now yeah that'll be really
0: interesting to see right I mean I think having a good pick and roll partner will be important for him I mean just because he's been so far above where he was before you know you think it's got to come down a little bit I mean especially like just the amount he's been getting to the free throw line the way he's finished at the rim I mean that's like he looks great getting there I mean that's the biggest thing to, to me too is just he's got so much more facility for finishing around the rim so much more uh, ability to get there i mean just his explosion in a straight line when he decides to go just looks really good he's just more aggressive he's stronger he's bouncing off guys at the basket but you know i don't know the answer to that question because we haven't seen him be this aggressive and effective yet i mean you noted the concern here in the notes that you know when he plays they still don't have a good offense uh despite what he's been doing individually but the way that his game is being played right now he should eventually be able to leverage the attention that he's getting because he's like he'll come off a handoff and he can shoot a three you know and he's got great rise on his jump shot he can take the jumper off the dribble and pick and roll and especially if you get a good role guy in there someone like marking in now although carter has started to look better in that role uh that then you know if you can force him to get double teamed or you can get a switch then can he really unlock some of the other stuff move the ball around let other guys make plays and have that number go up offensively you know as opposed to just all right you know i'm shooting on my own here and and that looks great when i decide to shoot but at other times you know i'm not really doing as much you know he's not really much of a cutter he's not doing much stuff off ball we'll see whether that happens for him but still i it's incredibly encouraging uh, the way that he's played at a level far beyond what either of you guys either of us really thought that he would reach uh, at any point in his career um
2: yeah the guy yeah. that i'm most excited about is marketing just because that opens up just so many different options they can create open looks if they try to double on levine and then if they're choosing to to keep marketing covered, then that might create even more avenues for Levine. And also if Wendell Carter gets more comfortable and teams have to defend him out there, there there's some really interesting yeah. wrinkles that can come with this team. And so they're, you know, I don't think this is the year for them and this will be more about evaluation and everything else, but I'm hoping that they can get the pieces to understand exactly what they need, like what they need really at the three and then depending on what other, whatever other guy isn't suitable. I mean, we've talked about Chris Dunn's potential limitations that we haven't really seen him on the floor this year
0: yeah and quietly Wendell Carter is starting to play better still not efficient scoring the ball but the good block rate 6.4 percent is excellent he's starting to make plays really the only one who makes any plays defensively he's got a lot to clean up out there but as a switch guy he's had some moments uh, as a help defender coming out of nowhere he's had some moments and starting to shoot the three ball a little bit better you know he had a nice play where he actually uh, had a pick and pop three into the corner starting to make some pretty decent decisions as well as assist percentage is solid for a big 16 percent. so i'm liking what i'm seeing from him after he had a tough you know first three or four games he had to go up against Joel Embiid, got in foul trouble in that season opener uh let's move on to the charlotte hornets oh seven, the hornets are five and seven point uh, four net rating oh, sixth in the nba wow these guys these guys must be dominating right right up the top of the eastern conference
2: well guess what a familiar bugaboo for the charlotte hornets early on of course dealing with small but they've only played in five close games this year and and they're one and four in those games which means that they are underperforming their point differential by the largest m- amount so far this year they're already 2.2 wins behind what you would project for a team with their differential
0: yeah and Kemba Walker has been fine in the clutch he obviously has a huge usage 46 percent, and right about league average true shooting which in the clutch usually your efficiency goes down but no one else can hit a shot 24 minutes of crunch time rest of team three of 20 from the field and they have spread it around quite well here no other hornet has made more than one bucket <laughs> so uh yeah that's a, been a major problem the defense you know their negative 32 net rating in the clutch again it's only 24 minutes so uh, tough to say how much of that is going to continue but it always seems to with this team even now uh, with the new coach but I, i'm still gonna stick with the side i mean 7.4 net rating like you got to be pretty happy if you're the Hornets they've looked good and Walker has been awesome once again he's taken his game to yet another new level uh by shooting the ball Uh, we'll see what that sustains but he's been awesome here in the early going
2: I mean right now he has career highs in efficiency and usage so 61 true shooting 30 usage granted some of that is like he's shooting 60% from mid-range that's not going to continue but he is absolutely amazing and surprise of surprise Charlotte's offense looks great with Kemba Walker on the floor they have a 118 offensive rating when he's out there and it's so bizarre how this team just has the same they're falling over the same footballs being pulled every year and I do think that they're closer this year I think they've gotten more from their bench and you know their clutch foibles right now it's it, it feels like it's more in the temporary vein so I like you I'm optimistic that that they can do better in these elements but I don't know it there's there's a, a point in time where I might become less optimistic and remember like they've played Chicago twice they've played Cleveland already they've played Orlando already and Miami twice and we're still trying to figure out charlotte won both of those games so this has not exactly been a a four Got uh, you know, a f- strong opponent group for them they d- then they did only lose to milwaukee at home by one point in their home opener but i mean when they have to face you know the sixers more often or the celtics or some of these other teams we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes so i don't know I, I still believe in them in the east the bottom of the east is as we expected it so they're going to have an opportunity here but i mean we'll, i don't know i don't know how i feel on them yet
0: it appears that the frank kaminsky era is pretty much over now unless they suffer some major injuries he has played the second fewest minutes on the team of anyone to see time only 22 minutes in four games all season for Kaminsky kid Gilchrist they actually have been scoring pretty well with him on the floor you know he's being used now even some as a small ball center you know they've gone to some lineups without Zeller or and without Hernan Gomez on the floor and in those lineups without a true center on the floor all right i'm looking this up again hypothesis this time is that it's pretty good but i think they've closed a few times with that and their closing rating isn't that great so let's see
2: they had one late comeback with that in the fourth quarter where it wasn't closing the game yeah
0: all right so with no true center on the floor yeah looks great plus 22 points per 100 and 281 possessions mostly on offense where they've absolutely killed it 130 offensive rating with those groups and it, it, amazingly actually they're really getting on the offensive glass uh 32% offensive rebounds uh with the, that group as well and they're not defending incredibly well but uh totally decently so maybe we'll see more of that uh from James borrego uh because you know they, I mean none of their centers are that earth-shattering and I think you know Cody Zeller 2 3 years ago I thought he actually was pretty good I think the injuries have really just slowed him down the, he had the meniscus surgery last year he's had bruised knee He's, he always seems to you know miss twenty games a season with the various issues. So he's just he's not quite the same guy as a role man, not quite the same guy as a, a defender. You know he's been starting a lot of these games, but you know and then Hernan Gomez is a nice offensive player, but you know a little too slow defensively. Doesn't really protect the rim. So I, yeah, I think we should see more of these lineups. Two hundred eighty one possessions. That's not like I mean it's a small sample in the grand scheme of things, but that's a lot of possessions. That's almost two full games worth. uh Even more than that, I should say, almost three full games worth. That they've played now with no center on the floor and it's been very effective let's move on here
2: the brooklyn nets they are four and six three and four since the last one of these they are 16th in net rating they are negative 0.5 overall actually they just moved up to 15th probably because of the lakers game they are 11th in offense and 20th in defense 538 projects them to win 34 games which put them 10th in the east and that actually is kind of close to the playoff picture if you assume injuries are going to happen and there are kind of two big things i wanted to talk about within this week we are obviously going to get into Karis Levert and D'Angelo Russell, but I want to give more of a sample to, to get into that because if you do it now, we're not watching much film and all that kind of stuff. So this is going to be on two other elements. The first is the Nets clutch play. They're not as egregious, obviously, as the Charlotte Hornets because nobody is. But last year, they played in 50 clutch games. That's defined by NBA.com as games that are within five points. Five points or closer within the last five minutes. And that was tied for the second most in the NBA. They went 19 and 31 in those games with a negative 9.3 net rating and so that is really you know they went 28 and 54 last year but they had some of the fundamentals of a team that was much better than that and part of how that fell apart was that there was a chris herring piece talking about how they were one team that was hurt more by clutch officiating than almost any other team that was one example that he of like the he went through the last two minute reports of memory serves and like the corrections actually affected them more than anybody else and this year so i said that a negative 9.3 net rating last year in close games they have only six samples six of ten games so far far negative 9.8 net rating two and four so there are some arguments to be made just because their talent level to me isn't quite as high as you know some of some of the best teams in the league they are more of a uh, you know a hustle and an execution based team yeah. that sometimes when games boiled when games boil down they had this one against the celtics last year where it's like they played really well throughout the entire game and then the celtics just kind of celtics it and you know but got some got some buckets laid and all that kind of stuff so that might end up being just a challenge for them but i mean owadipo not owadipo spencer dinwiddie had that really nice just ballsy game winner against the the Pistons one of their two clutch wins so far this year and I I like some elements of what they can do in those circumstances the other one they got was against the Knicks so I mean the Knicks are worse than the Nets, so you can factor that in however you choose to but I wonder about whether that's just going to be a limitation maybe slightly underperforming their point differential moving like with this iteration of the team and then once they add different talent maybe that can change
0: yeah Dinwiddie also had a massive three I think at the end of regulation as well in that detroit game and he obviously he had a game winner against them, and he obviously uh detroit basically gave up on him traded him away for nothing the bulls they treated him for uh cam Bearstow, which is uh that's like worse than nothing uh as uh bloggable will tell
2: you that could be his nickname on basketball reference worse than nothing <laughs> it'd be funny yeah, It seems, seems i don't know if those people listen to vind- the pod it's vindictive. mean
0: obviously guys are yeah that's true are, are nice guys uh we unfortunately yeah, are, are not nice guys uh no so yeah i mean their turnovers are just crazy right Right now, um, I noted this last week that they were at 19.5% turnovers, which is like a college team that's gotten a little bit better. But, you know, Dinwiddie's turning it over a lot more. Russell turns it over way too much. And, and you know, you mentioned their issues at the end of games. I think that's part of it. And then also, just they're kind of switchable, right? I mean, there's they don't really have anyone. You know, Lavert is maybe starting to evolve into someone like this who has like enough herky jerkiness to him to really beat switches. uh So that's the hope is that at the end of games, I mean, teams go to their best defensive lines the end of games are usually smaller uh, and you know, if a team's not playing conventional pick and roll defense against the nets and they're switching that it, it does i think get a lot easier against them than some other teams uh but they at least made a nice start against the sixers where they forced 28 turnovers and only had nine themselves
2: right it was a great illustration of this the turnover battle swinging a game so i mean granted the nets want it going away but the points off turnovers was 39 to 9 and it is hard to overcome that or it's hard to you know to be overcome by that depending on which side of the ledger you're on and so if the nets could be on the positive side of that more often it would really help them and one of the concerning elements of that turnover thing just to get you know russell he's turning the ball over a bunch is before today's game because the stats hadn't updated his it's his turnover percentage was over 16 same with Dinwiddie, but with, with russell that's basically where he's been for his career and and so you know the hope is that young players especially guys who come into the league as young as d'angelo russell did will get better at that with time. He hasn't really over the course of his career. And Dinwiddie had a lot fewer turnovers last year. His, his rate was around 11%, 12%. But this is more in line with where he was before that in, in 16, 17 and 14, 15. So we don't know exactly where it's going to go. I expect that he will tone it down a little bit, but not a ton. Maybe the same for D'Angelo Russell. And so That is a part of this that you have to consider for this team as they evaluate all of these point guards for who makes sense for them long term, especially as Levert has emerged is what do they want next to this and turn can be a factor that they consider and i'm excited to see where this team goes i i talked after the after they had that kind of competitive loss against the warriors about how much i enjoy watching them play that continues to be true but they might be one of those teams this happens every year where they're they're in a lot of games but then lose a lot of games and that makes them a good league pass team that makes them a fun team for the 15 and 60 as opposed to like the slog that at least the next six weeks of cleveland will be but oh the difference might not be there and, and you can argue and there's an argument to be made that and i would make this argument that if they're not going to be in the playoff picture because right now they're kind of on this fringe like if they do a little bit better they can be in it and they do a little bit worse they're out that getting another real blue chip talent would actually be the good thing for them long term it's just going to be when when do they know what they are and that's going to take us another two months to yeah, figure out no
0: I, I think they definitely could stand to have a draft pick for you know the first time in a long time at least you know it be uh I and mean, what's the highest pick they've had like 18 or something since with all the swaps and trades they've made and stuff um
2: well that's an appropriate way to transition into the next team the team that got all those switches and swaps the boston celtics the celtics are six and three four and two since the last 15 and 60 they are currently with a plus 4.9 net rating they are ninth in the league they are actually 27th in offense as of now and first in defense 538 projects them to finish with 54 wins which would tie with the bucks for second in the east and we talked about the celtics a lot i mean not only did we talk about them on on the podcast that came out on friday morning for most of you on the NBA cast because we did that game against the Bucs and the Celtics, I mean, I, I wonder where they're going with this team. I mean, the second unit is something that I'm going to be tracking a lot of just the shots that Terry Rozier gets, the shots that Terry Rozier takes and, you know, some of those lineups. There is so much to like about this team. I still think they're going to be awesome. And yeah, I mean, but I think the most important thing that we can talk about with them in a more of a broad scope, partially because one of the games happened after that, is that it looks like Kyrie Irving is back to doing Kyrie Irving thing. Thanks.
0: Yes and no. He's been really hot shooting the ball uh, over his last three games, shooting over fifty percent from downtown. He's making very difficult attempts. He's also six or twelve for mid range, but still, in the last three games, he's taken only four shots at the rim. And he, whether it's a lack of spacing on this team, which you know, should not be the case. I mean, they do have a couple of guys who they'll be out. You know, Smart is out there sometimes, but you know, pretty much everyone else on this team can space. And for whatever reason, Kyrie is just not getting to the basket for the those crazy finishes and, and you know maybe he feels like there just isn't the space to get there maybe he's not confident maybe it's the regular season he doesn't want to do that until the playoffs you know, to some degree i thought that was the case the last time he came back from injury too as he kind of took it easier in, in the regular season but one shot at the rim per game and then you know rarely getting to the foul line as well which has always been a, a big weakness of his game that's not good enough for, for him i mean i think he's he's a great shooter but he's not going to continue to shoot over 50 percent on jump shots when half of those are threes more than half those are threes so you know a lot of what he's been doing he does look to be in a little bit better shape he did cut his hair uh the jump shots are going down i was really impressed with his defensive effort against the bucks on thursday uh he hit some big clutch shots against the pacers even though they lost but i do want to see him get to the room anymore this team just is not putting enough pressure on the basket offensively and just with the talent they have on this team 27s in offense it is just inexcusable even if hayward and Kyrie have not quite been themselves yet
2: yeah i mean they are dead last in proportion of their shots at the rim 25.6 percent which is insanely low i mean when you when you get into a lot of it and and their free throw attempt rate they are twenty sixth in the league at 17 percent. and some of the teams that are below them you would expect to be much better in time i mean houston when they'll have a higher proportion of their season with james harden than they have had so far so and they're one of the teams below it I, I would expect that to change and something i think i'm going to track for kyrie you know not it's not going to go in the sheet as being something we check every week but right now he is taking that the highest proportion of his scores are assisted by far in his career. So before this year on twos, the, the highest proportion that had been assisted was about 27%. Right now he's at 36, which is a lot higher. And then on threes, most years he was in the the low the low 50s in terms of the so about half of his makes were assisted. He's at 71% right now. And generally speaking, that's a good thing. You know, you want those you because assisted three point shots are generally better than pull ups and everything else, and they do have. More more creators and so i mean you can take that and get some real returns with it but that could be an indicator of just kind of how they're conceiving of this offense and steven's you know ball movement player movement everything like
1: that
0: yeah not only are they not getting that many shots at the rim, they're shooting a crappy percentage 59 percent is not very good um defensively though they continue to be far and away the best team in the league and much like last year teams just shooting a terrible percentage from three against them 29 percent from downtown 29 percent on corner threes and they are actually giving up a fair number of threes as well they're giving up uh 33% 33% of their shots is threes that's only 22nd in the league and and really the shot location data is not elite they are not they're 10th in giving up shots at the rim and 22nd in giving up shots from three so a lot of it has just been the bad three-point shooting and you know it's been the case for a while that teams have shot worse from three against them much like with golden state when they're at least locked in there's been a debate back and forth of course of whether how much of that is their defense to sh- but they're not going to teams are not going to shoot 29% from three against them all season. Season, you know they'll at least get up to like 33 34 that's about the lowest that team's uh defensive three-point percentage are and so they might take a little bit of a step back but i mean for all the hand-wringing and they're still six and three they're still just impossible to play against defensively it's just you would hope that eventually it would get a little bit smoother and they could start dominating which you know i think other than the game against the bucks we have not seen them play absolutely as well as they can and, and perhaps this is why too i mean for the box when you see some of the shots that they're taking why it was so disappointing that the bucks who have been so good defensively just you know systemically could not stop these guys when everyone else seems to have no problem doing it
2: right and the other game we should talk about when boston playing was the, the absolute stomping they gave to philly in the first game they were they were awesome oh yeah
0: no that's that's a good point um let's move to the Hawks yeah, oh oh our...
2: actually wait one quick thing I want to say about Boston uh it it their defensive rebounding has also been better this year and they're not fouling as much so we'll see if those two things can continue I mean that's another way that if they can keep that strong they're not forcing as many turnovers as, as in other years but no there's so much I mean their, their defense is awesome it's going to be awesome it's just it's just about where they're gonna go but the last team last but well kind of least <laughs> the the atlanta hawks they're three and six which is meaningfully better than the Cavs. they're two and four since the last time we did this including a win over miami on saturday their net rating is negative 11.8 which is 28th in the league They're last in offense 23rd in defense and 538 projects them to finish tied with the Cavs with 23 wins they are they were the only team in the league with a sub 100 offensive rating fortunately for them they got that up after the miami game now they're all at 102 and that's a lot better still not good obviously but it's a lot better and so they're about one point clear of everybody else where they were like i think three clear of everybody else for before, before the weekend
0: and i was like really like i started looking at their sets like why are they so bad offensively well they take the fourth most shots at the rim they take the fourth most shots from three that's pretty good lowest second lowest number of mid-rangers that's pretty good oh, they must be shooting awful from three yeah no they're fine uh 15th in the nba shooting 36 percent from three don't shoot it great at the rim that's only 60 percent, but you know that's pretty close to average and then i looked down and saw that they are just getting completely destroyed in the possession game 29th in the nba turning the ball over that's really bad trey young has been a, a pretty big culprit there though there's plenty of others getting in on the action as well they never get an offensive rebound. They're getting 19% of offensive rebounds. So that's really what's killing them. I mean, the rest of are 13th in shooting and they get to the foul line at a pretty average rate, but they're just so bad in terms of turning it over and offensive rebounds that it's just not really working for them. Uh, also worth noting here too, a sign of trouble. I mean, they have a negative 11.8 net rating. They've also had the league's easiest strength of schedule by a large margin. So this is going to get worse probably before it gets better.
2: It will help when they get John Collins back whenever the heck yeah. that happens. Because they have nothing. They they need
0: the rebounding will get a lot better with him. Because I mean, they're starting Vince Carter before right now. Like he's he's not going to rebound.
2: They are, and other than a couple of big moments in the at the end of the the Heat game, you don't necessarily expect that to be a big part of their identity. And I mean, the biggest one of the problems with talking about the Hawks right now is that there are really you know two of the the two most interesting young pieces for them are Trey Young and John Collins. John Collins basically hasn't played due to due to injury. And Trey Young were still in the early part of it. I tweeted out a play that I wasn't watching that portion of the game that just would blew me away on the highlight. I think it was Kel Schnard had put it out there of him. He was being doubled and he kind of faded back and threw this through this pass to the opposite corner. And so I'm sitting there like, wow, that's an amazing read and an amazing throw because it got right to I don't remember for the life of me who was shooting it. And then I realized, wait, Trey Young threw that left handed and he's right handed. And like that, I, I think remember I was I was thinking about when you and I were watching footage and we, we when we do draft analysis we don't talk about it now until we do the podcast because it's more fun to get those live reactions and we both like the biggest thing that we took away from it was just how how intriguing and how talented he is as a passer and that will be very necessary for Troy Young because his defense has been pretty awful this year and his shooting we're just going to have to find out but at least that does give some sort of a fallback in terms of what he can do for an offense that I, I, I think he's a better passer than I'm trying to think of a guy his size they're obviously better passers who are taller, but he might be the best passer his size in in like five to ten years. Is that possible?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think height has become uh, as as that pass to the weak side corner has become more important. I think it's become harder to become a good passer as a short guy because you just can't see over the defense. You can't throw it over the defense. So yeah, no, I mean he he really has looked fantastic. You know, certainly among guys who really profile as like starting point guards. uh And he's put up some big things. I mean, he had twenty four and fifteen last night as they. Like Beat uh, Miami, you know, again, just throwing some beautiful passes, uh, as you mentioned. And, you know, you mentioned the left hand, too. Keeping Young off of his right hand is probably the way you want to go because he's more comfortable shooting the three going to his right in particular. But he started to shoot some going to his left as well. And usually, the reason you send a lot of guys to their offhand isn't even necessarily their finishing at the rim, but just their passing, you know, that they don't pass as well with their offhand. Uh, So I think Young, I mean, he's exceeded expectations to me so far having some of these big games. His shooting at the rim has been really solid. He's been over 60% at the rim, the 27% usage know okay efficiency and he's only shooting 32 percent from three he's taking fewer than half his shots from downtown i mean i think the the biggest thing that's shown out to be is that he's finished pretty well at the rim uh and then he also has shown like more quickness and ability to just beat guys and get in the lane than i think a lot of people would have anticipated he was supposed to be like really slow and just you know in the pick and roll he really has been able to change speeds accelerate get in the lane you know when the, an opening is there to hit the gas and, and split guys uh and then you know i mean he's already one of the best in the league at that Nash finish just the one hand finish where a speed layup where you never put your other hand on the ball to just kind of stretch out little bit so I, I think he's on track the one place that's been a disappointment in college he had 54 steals in 32 games last year this year he has four steals in nine games you know, he definitely is a total wallflower defensively and that's something that's just going to take a while uh, for him to be sure but you know he, he has not even really been able to see a lot of anticipation defensively he's just kind of been out there
2: one other small thing that i want to keep an eye on is that young has done a good job of of getting to the free throw line you know is it at 33 we talked about how this is an issue for kyrie irving trey young is way he's way more skilled at drawing fouls because yeah, he a lot tries of guys to he age.
0: tries the tricks you know yeah
2: he does and so but this year he's shooting 76 percent from the line when he was at oklahoma i think it was at 86 percent and i fully expect i think he's more of like a, a mid-80s free throw shooter so you know it's not a huge difference but that's an extra point every couple of games i think that would help him
0: all right i think that's all we got here uh quick reminder our patreon patreon.com slash duncan the rue We've got those ad free podcasts, although I will say we haven't had that many people sign up yet. So, what we may do is try to change that to like a higher pricing tier and see if anybody signs up for that instead. Because uh, we are actually paying Liam extra to do that. And if it, nobody signs up, we, we might quit it. But uh, you do get plenty else, of course, with Patreon. And then follow me on Twitch, the new home of the NBA cast, rebranded. Watch the games with us live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Nate Duncan NBA. And what are we doing that again this week? Wednesday?
2: We are doing two of the teams we talked about in this episode, Indiana Philly on Um, Wednesday.
0: That'll be good. Yeah, I mean that could be a big game for seating purposes eventually. Um all right, that'll do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more. Or I guess tomorrow night, but we'll record it tomorrow morning because there's a Warriors game with more awesome content. Till then.